So it, it's a very unique problem that we're kind of facing that like this ETA migration, of course, it's kind of a forced migration. Of course, people are hesitant to just jump in and do it all. But we're seeing the fact that all of a sudden people are much more hesitant and are testing a lot less frequently in this new ad format. And that then begins this problem of as people test less, we're also seeing fewer improvements. Welcome to episode 66 of the PPC Show, where we interview the best and brightest in paid search and paid social advertising. I'm your host, J.D. Prater. And this week, I'm joined by Mark Irvine, Senior Data Scientist at WordStream, to discuss his latest research on expanded text ads. He'll also provide some excellent tips on how to improve your ETA performance. Let's get to it. Mark, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, JD. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm getting uh, geared up for the holiday season. How about yourself? I'm almost like at that point where I'm past the holidays that um, <laughs> anything, anything that I've done up through now, like it's either sink or swim and I'm thinking about next year already. Nice. Well, uh, we'll definitely get to that in a second, man. But uh, what have you been up to? So Mark and I connected at HeroConf London. It's actually pretty interesting that, you know, we have interacted probably for years on Twitter, but finally met each other officially, you know, at HeroConf London, where we were both uh, presenting some couple of sessions. So we had a really good speakers dinner, then some really good darts session. But yeah. yeah. Now, London, London was great, and it's been a long time coming. Also, finally got to meet you, so of course it was a successful trip. Um, <laughs> basically, the last couple of months for me have been have been crazy. I got married at the very end of September. Congratulations! Then, thank you, thank you. And basically, to start off what married life is, is I decided to uh, be on the road for six of eight weeks straight. So, um, already starting off married life by being imaginably the worst husband possible and just not being there. But uh, obviously was out there in the UK with you, came back, met with a couple of partners in uh, Mountain View and in Seattle, and then did PubCon Vegas two weeks ago and Social Media Week in Chicago last week. So I've been, I've been all over, finally back in Boston, going to finally see, see my husband for a little bit via make up some time there and hopefully the rest of that sticks. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, you don't have too many more trips planned out uh, for the rest of the year, right? Are you, are you, oh, are you no. home? I'm home. I'm home solidly throughout at least the beginning of January. So nice. love it or hate it, he's going to see me for about six weeks. <laughs> yeah, at this point, he's like, man, I ha- kind of had some my free time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why are you encroaching? <laughs> yeah, so rude of me. My team back here almost forgot who I was. They moved my desk while I was gone. Honestly, if this is just me taking the first step out of WordStream, this is the first hints. Yeah, yeah. So um, for those that don't know, or if you've been living under a rock, um, Mark works at WordStream. And if, if the good folks and the good listeners here have never heard of WordStream, I want you to give us a quick elevator pitch. Absolutely. So WordStream helps uh, small, medium businesses and the agencies that manage those small, medium businesses uh, manage their paid search and paid social accounts all within one platform. The idea here is a lot of the stuff that you do in a regular paid search or paid social account, a lot of that's repetitive. So our, our software is effectively a tool of a suite of tools to help people manage that within 20 minutes a week. Nice. Nice. And, uh, I can uh, vouch for you guys. I mean, it's, it's, you guys have a great blog. You guys have really good content, um, really good, you know, your benchmark reports that I know that you work so hard on. Uh, I just saw the latest one around Bing. So congratulations. Um, Thank you. They, uh, they always are great information for the industry. And then Mark is a data scientist. So yeah, kind of uh, explain what a data scientist does. Yeah. So thinking about not just the fact that like everyone's paid search accounts follow similar themes and have similar elements to it. But uh, WordStream, where we're small, medium businesses, we have 20,000 of those small, medium businesses accounts linked up. And because there are 20,000 ad accounts under our management, that gives us like a lot of potential to really look in and see specifically what are people doing and what aren't people doing and does that make them successful and what are common benchmarks or, or exactly what's going on in the industry. So when something changes in the industry, I don't have an anecdote, I have a trend. 
And from that, like, that's effectively what my, uh, what my day-to-day looks like when I'm not traveling around the world. <laughs> nice. Well, cool, cool. Well, let's, uh, let's kind of jump into it. So um, Mark gave a very successful, uh, well, yeah, very successful uh, <laughs> session <laughs> at HeroConf London around expanded text ads. And so um, he's going to, we're going to kind of like walk through his session and kind of some of the things that he shared and some of the things that you can think through and think about as you're planning for 2018. So Mark, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, man. So, you know, it's December. I'm thinking it's time to start thinking around 2018 because I've waited till December and this is what happens. Uh, what are some common, you know, things, pitfalls that, uh, you know, advertisers should be thinking through? Yeah. So I think that the, the big conversation we're having around ETAs is either you're currently on ETAs, they're a year and a half old now. We've all seen them. We've all had feelings about them. Um, if we look at the Google Bing narratives, they're all, hey, ETAs are great. You need to be doing them, right? That, that they increase your average click-through rate by 20% line is the one that they all throw out. And of course, they're bigger, they're better. Why wouldn't you want to do this? But I don't know, JD, like, I'm sure in your experience, you haven't always seen that kind of performance, right? Yeah, it's true. I've, uh, I, yeah, whenever I was kind of evaluating standard versus ETAs, it's been... It really hit or miss. Yeah, and that's that's the exact truth. Is that the the line that Google spews about the average increase in click through rate increase of twenty percent is an accurate statement. That is true for an average. But one thing that like I learned in school early on is that if I ever want to tell a lie, I use an average because averages specifically hide half the data along with it. And so specifically when we look at on average, when people make that transition, but one out of three people or one out of three accounts when they're making this transition really struggle when they're transitioning to ETAs. So although, you know, looking through my SMB heavy portfolio, about 70% of all of our accounts have fully transitioned to ETAs and 95% have begun that transition, it's still a real conversation about, well, why does one out of every three people who begin this transition struggle with it? Mm-hmm. And I feel like um, a, big, a big problem when we look at the data, and I think that you kind of mentioned it right there, is when you're evaluating us in ETA versus a standard text ad, you often see that hit or miss kind of conversation. And we see that a lot of people took that exact same approach, that a lot of people, when they migrated to ETAs, they migrated to ETAs with an ETA in each ad group. When they made that migration, they found the winner of that test. And then they concluded that was the end of the test and that they had fully migrated to ETAs. And so when we look at just the number of ETAs in each ad group now, um, we actually see the fact that about 44% of people who have made this migration have only made this migration with one ETA per ad group. And so when we talk about like what best practice and what common practice used to be, it used to be that you would have multiple ads per ad group. We don't see that as a common practice anymore. That is pretty uncommon for people to have two or three or four ETAs per ad group. Whereas it was almost like comical how many ads you would see in ad, uh, ad groups previously that there were people out there that might have 10, 15 ads per ad group and that was almost too many. That was problematic at times. Um, that we're not at all really running into that, that case scenario anymore. We're more and more frequently seeing a lot of small ad groups with one or maybe two ETAs in them. And so that gives us a really unique paradigm in 2017, where throughout all of 2017, there are fewer ads in each ad account than there were the year previously. Hmm. And that's never been the case, at least as far as my data goes back in 2008, where there are fewer ads per ad account. So it's a very unique problem that we're kind of facing that like, this ETA migration, of course, it's kind of a forced migration. Of course, people are hesitant to just jump in and do it all. But we're seeing the fact that all of a sudden people are much more hesitant and are 
testing a lot less frequently in this new ad format. Hmm. And that then begins this problem of as people test less, we're also seeing fewer improvements. Right. Yeah. I think that was like one thing that I really took away from, from your deck was uh, like 44% only have one ETA, which is like, it seems crazy to me because I think, you know, as you were saying an hour and a, or sorry, not an hour, a year and a half, this has been out. Right. And you're like, wait, what have you been doing for 18 months? Um, but I think I like one of the things that I really enjoyed about your, your data was the, the flip side to it. It's like when you actually have more ETAs, you actually see better results. And so I won't put you uh, necessarily on the spot, but you were saying like, um, if you have uh, more ad groups that have more ETAs, you have a 21% higher CTR. Like if that doesn't make you go and launch some ETAs, I don't know what will. <laughs> yeah. And this doesn't even necessarily need to, like this turns out and you know that I love numbers that uh, anytime yeah. that we can solve something just by doing more or just by creating more numbers in an account, I'm all too happy to see that. But it's one of those things like as Google takes this more algorithmic approach towards optimizing your ads, um, as Google writes ads for you, as it optimizes those ad rotations for you, um, as that kind of becomes more standard in how Google operates, oftentimes just having different messages, having more options for Google to optimize for you, well, that's often enough to allow Google to like find success with that. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's, I'm going to, let's unpackage two things there. So I think one, we should definitely talk about Google writing ads for you because I'm sure everyone here has an opinion on that. And I keep getting the alert in my account. It's just like, and it's going to start and it's going <laughs> to start soon. And I'm like, oh. and I know, I know I can opt out, but I kind of want to see what they write more than anything else. And then two, um, let's unpackage, um, maybe different types of messages within like a same kind of ad group and letting Google kind of surface those different ads um, and kind of messaging best practices. So which one do you want to tackle first messaging or Google writing ads? Let's talk about Google writing ads first. Let's do it. And so I don't know. I, I originally saw that. And when I first saw that come in, I nearly opted out the entire, the entire book of business, all 18,000 accounts. I was just like, well, why would, I, why would I want Google write this? Of course, I can write better ads. Um, but then, you know, I say that, and then five minutes ago, I just talked about how I'm not writing better ads, how I'm specifically not writing any ads. And so what we're seeing, Google's not all that active with the ad suggestion beta or the written by Google beta. They're slightly different. I think that maybe one evolved into the other, but all said and done, I think that across my book, I've seen it affect all of like 3% of accounts. <laughs> so it's not all that common. Um, but what we're seeing is like, when, of course, cause I want to evaluate it. Um, when I see those particular ads that Google's writing, they come in with that label that written by AdWords label. So it's really easy to evaluate the performance all said and done, they're not remarkable ads. They do have like a slightly, in ad groups in which they exist, that ad group takes about a 10% increase in click-through rates. <laughs> so just having, it is again that kind of story of just having multiple ads helps increase the click-through rate. Um, the actual copy that they write is fairly, honestly, unoriginal. Um, it's not, <laughs> nothing that I'd like write home about. I think that they changed a couple of, the verbs in my original ads to be something different or they switched around sentences or words to be all that different from one another. This is a big problem, of course, if you have like very strict branding that um, maybe she's born with it, maybe she it's Maybelline is a specific brand line that like your marketing director is gonna care about a lot if you if you mess up or if you rewrite. But if you find yourself in the case that most of us find ourselves in, where, where this is just a 140-character ad that says something about something, then very unlikely, like, Google's not going to write something offensive in this ad. They're not going to necessarily skew your branding all too much. They're going to play that semantic game that most of Google is about, where they're just changing around a couple of words here and there, maybe giving you a different CTA that you used another ad group. Um, just testing out those kinds of languages together so that it can hopefully 
provide better performance. So I don't know, unless you do you have any horror stories from this? No, not yet. Um, you know, I, I, we haven't like, so in, within the ad stage account, it's not, uh, it hasn't hit just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, just like if you start trolling on PPC chat, it's kind of fun uh, to see people. It's, it's really interesting to me, uh, straddling the search versus social types of mentality where search people are so, um, you know, controlling of everything that they want where the social people are like, yeah, Facebook, go ahead, you know, do whatever you go want. Nuts, yeah. Go nuts. You know, and it's like, yeah. And so you're going to kind of see that a lot more of that, that kind of attitude emerge from AdWords or from Google or from Bing in general, particularly as social becomes a more prominent market in the U S that like, what is it? 22% of all digital goes to Facebook now. And that wasn't a thing that happened three years ago that like just in terms of Google maintaining its market share, Google's going to follow what's successful for Facebook and vice versa. Yeah, it's true. It's, that's been kind of the fun part. You know, it's, um, we were talking about this on um, the headline show that we do uh, every weekend. We were like really excited because Facebook's like, yeah, check this out. I can make 6,200 ads really quickly. You know, you give me 10 headlines, you give me 10 descriptions, you give me five images, five videos, and then boom, gone. And then go test them. Boom. Like we just took care of your ad creation and your testing for you. 6,200, you know, and it's like, why doesn't AdWords do this? And then they kind of launched it with like the UAC, which I think is them kind of venturing in to this, you know, role of here's multiple headlines, here's multiple text boxes, and now we'll, we'll just go out and kind of test it for you. But which I think is all, I think that's a better use case for Google than writing ads for you. I would much rather give them kind of four or five headlines multiple text box, you know, descriptions and let them kind of scramble it up to make a bunch of ETAs like that. I'm more okay with. And then, so I think that like what you're seeing is like two weeks ago, for instance, Google uh, released the ad variations. Right. Beta. So now it's, it's native to the new UI exclusively. Um, I know. Right in there. Here I am. I'm going to take on another unpopular topic, but right in the new UI, if, if you were very comfortable testing out different call to actions. If you're very comfortable testing out headline two and headline one switching places, or if you want to test out different messaging, it's very easy to do that at scale now. Whereas like previously, you know what I did not enjoy, particularly when I managed accounts directly, I really hated going in and like changing 18,000 ads because a sale started or because we changed a promo code or because I wanted to change one particular message that like, that was a very manual. I had a lot of control, but to be honest, the control was only as good as I was. And I have other things to do in my life. Yeah. That's a really good point. Especially when you think about the manualness of like, am I going to do this in Excel? Am I going to do this in power? I said, it's not a power editor. (laughs) It's just the Facebook in me, Uh, the Google AdWords editor. Right. And you're like, fine, replace. But at the same time, you're just like, I don't, Oh, I just don't want to do this. So I think that it's honestly cathartic for for paid search marketers, particularly as like when I started like five back in my day. Um, when I started in paid search, this was one of those things like I exclusively did paid search, and then display was adjacent, and I might get my feet wet in display. And now we're doing paid search and display, and we're doing programmatic, and we're doing social, and we're doing all of these other types of ad buys that, like, as I take more onto my plate, I have to kind of be open about giving up some control that, like, at the end of the day, I don't want to this individual ad that I'm going to be writing out of 18,000 ads is not going to be the one that makes or breaks success for me. That honestly, if there's just some kind of catch all, or if there's some kind of algorithmic way for me to do this, then I'm going to be much more happy, excited to do that. Yeah. That's something that we've seen too. I mean, even ad stage customers, right. And, um, there's been a real shift because we have like a, it's like an automate product and it allows you to set up rules, cross channel, whatever you want. Right. And you can also flight ads, you can schedule ads. So you could actually go in, schedule all these promo ads, right. And have them launch this day and turn off this day with a simple, you know, pretty easy. And the thing is, man, people 
they're not there yet. I think we're getting better. I think a year ago, if you're having this conversation about automation and giving up control to the Googles and the Facebooks, I think the answer would have been like, hell no. And now it's like, well, cool. I'm going to go do some other stuff uh, because I still have all this, you know, other things on my plate to do. I'm happy to kind of let you just take this part. Yeah, I mean, like from tech platform to tech platform, I remember when when WordStream just started, it was one of those things like we wouldn't even, we didn't even have the copy, the ability to copy and paste an ad because why would you ever want to do that? Because every <laughs> ad had to be different, that you were writing this ad or this ad group for, for a very different reason. Dynamic keyword insertion had its own kind of controversy about it because, well, I don't even know how this ad is going to show or dynamic site links or dynamic ad extensions were, were such a controversial topic that turned out to be so inconsequential. Um, I think that one of the, the big things about being in, being in paid search in 2017 and 2018 is that like we can all sit on this cusp that we can be reactive to what Google is going to be doing. We all had feelings when Google changed its advertising settings. We all had feelings when Google changed its budget delivery settings. We all have changed about the new UI. We can all like sit back and like dig in our heels and hate this, or we can kind of think more about like, well, why am I upset about this? And how, how should I be managing this? Why is Google doing the thing it's doing? And how can I kind of, apply this more directly to suit my needs. Yeah, that's a, that's a very logical conclusion, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I, of course, say this from the luxury of being a senior data scientist where <laughs> I get to look at all the numbers all day long and say like, okay, so on average, this is a, I get to do that thing where I lie with averages. And I say, on average, this is a good improvement, but I don't have the client yelling in my face that this, this might potentially ruin their branding down the line, maybe. Yeah, true, true. I mean, we, I mean, this is a little off topic, but yeah, I ran into this when I was managing, you know, clients, we were trying out the the display, you know, where they were doing the responsive text ads, and they would pull in your imagery. And it like was not on brand. And of course, this brand was like, what is this color blue? Where did you get this? This is not the right color blue, you need to be using Pantone, you know, you're like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, man, like, we were just testing something. <laughs> I actually remember when that first happened. So I think that the, that Google would pull the images from your Google plus account. Right. Most generally. And so they used the wrong logo and this was just when that showed up. And then I explained to them why it showed up that way. Cause they pulled it from the Google plus account. I effectively was just throwing their in-house social team under the bus. Um, so I, it was like a very, it was a very easy problem for me to get out of. It was like, oh, right, I'll just opt out of doing this. But instead, along the way, I decided to throw three people into the bus. <laughs> nice. That's what uh, working with Mark Irvin, senior data scientist, looks like. <laughs> Get ready to be thrown yeah. into the bus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, let's kind of transition now. So, you know, Facebook and Google are going to take over pretty much all things ads. And so some of the things that we can't control are the inputs maybe, right? I mean, Google's really going out there, but what are some, what are some messaging best practices? And I know you talked about in your hero cup London session, but um, what are some of the things that you're seeing? So I think that one of the big things that we're seeing is that like, Hey, these standard text ads, the text ads that were created, the text ads that we've been running with for 16 years, they were created in an era of search that is really no longer there. So like the year 2000, the year 2008, a lot of the times when we write these ads, we think about someone in our position, very likely we're sitting at a desktop computer all day. We're thinking of people searching on a desktop computer all day. We're searching for keywords when we're searching for our clients' keywords. So we think that people are going to be in that exact same desktop searching for keyword position. And so the the metaphor that I used was the old Geico commercials, where it was Geico was really successful because they were one of the first online advertisers or the one of the first online platforms where you could get car insurance and their lines that was so easy a caveman could do it. And so the way that we searched at the time, you would go to a desktop computer, we would sit down and if you want to buy car insurance online, you'd have this caveman like query car insurance. You would get results for the term car insurance and you would consider that ad a good match if it, reiterated back that caveman-like language of car insurance back to you. 
that's not how we search anymore. Now, when I'm searching for car insurance, I'm not even necessarily going to be clicking on, not going to be searching that way. I'm not going to be searching for the same terms and I'm not going to click on that ad. I'm not going to convert right away either. So we have to think about the fact that people are searching more long tail. The long tailed search query is no longer, no longer a nicety, but it's actually the majority of all searches, about two thirds of all searches are long tail now. Um, we're not searching on desktop as frequently. We're most of the time we're on mobile or we're across multiple devices. And when we are searching for something like this, even like I'm looking for shoes right now, I can't just click on an ad and buy shoes. I need to, of course, search multiple times or like now that I'm married, I am no longer the key decision holder in my life. Um, so now this is a conversation I have with my search. So I now begin to pull multiple searches for the same product or search. And so knowing that I'm no longer this like digital stone age caveman, we have to think about how we're selling ourselves to the people who are searching here, that people are searching longer. They're searching more natural. They're often searching vocally, but they're also searching for much more complex needs than they were a decade ago or even five years ago or even two years ago. So knowing the fact that like we're now complicated, sophisticated people searching, we need to think about writing ads to people who are using that language. And that's really where like standard text ads are kind of no longer fitting the bill for us because 90 characters, we can't do anything with 90 characters. If someone's searching for something that is 140 characters or multiple words, then we're not going to be able to necessarily even fit that in a smaller ad. One of the things that I've seen really successful when I go through like a semantic engine of what like doing an n-gram and looking at semantics within an ad uh, set, it's very easy to identify certain words that resonate very well with people. And a lot of these are fairly common, like the word free resonates well with people. This isn't anything really new. But one of the things that really stood out when I looked through a host of ad copies was that pronouns performed really, really well. And the reason is because it's very difficult for me to write an ad for someone or to write an ad that's uh, not written for someone without using a pronoun. So if I include the word we in an ad, then all of a sudden I'm not going to be writing in this caveman-like language anymore. When I include the word we in an ad, I'm now kind of forced to write my ad in the way that I would speak to another human being. So I'm not really focused so much on the keyword that they're searching for, but I'm focused more on what it is that they're searching for as a solution. That's interesting. That's interesting. So within that, like, are you saying, um, you know, as advertisers, should we refer to our business as we rather than, you know, ad stage is, or should we say we are this? So I feel like if you were to describe what ad stage was, that's a statement, right? Yeah. And then you're going to go into some descriptive language around the platform which you provide. Sure. If you were to position yourself, like I'm sure that your sales team, what they don't do is they don't say like ad stage allows you to do X, Y, and Z. Um, like they don't describe the features of ad stage. What they do is they sell you guys as a solution package. And so we look at your blank, you know, um, and we provide the following tools and suggestions to help you manage your, your multiple uh, accounts along the way. And so that kind of difference between using, using features, using nouns to describe what it is that you do versus using pronouns to describe how you help people is a huge difference in terms of how you market yourself. That's and it sounds like really, like when I, I break it down between nouns and pronouns, it sounds really semantic. But when you actually take a step back, forcing yourself to use a pronoun, you suddenly shift your, your messaging a whole lot when you're talking to a human being. And so you break away from this like keyword marketing strategy into this more human marketing strategy. Hmm. I really like that. I think it's really good. I think, you know, even with, you know, SMB, right? So it could be like, like a local plumber, right? And I, I could really see how the we coming out of that would be a, a really powerful type of ad whenever I'm kind of scrolling through. 
So that's a good tip, man. So yeah. pronouns. Pronouns. We, him, she, we. we. Yeah. You yeah. is great. You, you, like there's so much like that you know about your business or about your customers who are searching for something. Um, like you, of course, know what they're searching for, but you also know their demographics, you know where they're searching, you know when they're searching, you know on what devices they're searching, um, that thinking more about who and how someone is searching is often more important than about what they're searching for. That someone who is searching for um, a UK SIM card is like, that's the first thing I did when I got to, when I got uh, to London is I of course was like, Oh, right. I don't have a SIM card for this. Um, I'm not interested in buying a UK SIM card. I'm interested in this bigger solution and knowing the fact that like I pulled that search in Boston Logan airport for a UK SIM card. Well, that was a really indicative, like that kind of search behavior is way more indicative of like exactly what my intent was rather than the fact that I was searching for this piece of plastic. Yeah, that's really nice. That's a really good point too. And I'm sure you probably did it on mobile. So, you know, like what are some mobile, you know, tips and trends you're kind of seeing as well? So with mobile, of course, like we know that mobile isn't necessarily the same search process that Google is going to tell us that intent is uniform across all devices. We know that's not true. Um, a big thing that's underutilized, and maybe this is in part because Google hasn't really pushed it as much is the if statement. Mm -hmm. And so the if statement, um, it really just allows you to write slightly different messaging for someone who is searching on a mobile device versus a desktop or tablet device. And we use that specific process a whole lot during the standard text ad days with device preference. You would specifically, when you wrote an ad, you had to specifically check a box and it was right there in the process when you were rewriting an ad that you almost were exposed to it immediately. This if statement, you can go in, you can write this bracket equals if uh, parentheses device equals mobile comma kind of language. Marketers didn't take that kind of cop side class like no one's really <laughs> comfortable writing that that programming i'm sure if you like invite dan on then dan's going to be all too happy to talk about specifically like scripting and and that kind of language but like uh, the typical smb that plumber he wants to write a different ad to someone who's staring at his toilet on his phone than someone who's comfortably at work maybe thinking about getting that that sink fixed um and anyways, using that, that if statement, there's a lot that we can do knowing that someone's on their, their mobile device. Thinking about the fact that you're going to promote that, that call to action that's hopefully a call rather than schedule a free, a free uh, inspection of that toilet that's overflowing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the good part too. It's like there really is, there really does seem to be kind of some immediacy um, whenever you're actually searching on your phone, I'll give you a, I locked my keys in my car this weekend. Mm -hmm. um, I needed an answer like right now. Like I need, I need a locksmith right now. You know, it's very different than searching for a locksmith on desktop where I probably have the convenience of having internet connection. So right. it's a very different sense of urgency than being at a park and it's like, uh, am I screwed? Yeah. <laughs> like I'm screwed until you get back to me. Yeah. Yeah. Hurry up. Uh, but like it's a very, and like knowing that, being able to pr provide that specific language that let's say that you were locked out at like midnight or something. Oh man. Provide yeah. that kind of specific language that like someone is there 24 seven. That's so much more valuable than your, your desktop search where if I'm conveniently comfortable under, under my covers on my desktop searching for this, then I'm not necessarily looking for, looking for that right away. So like that, that kind of difference in language means everything. Nice. Nice. Well, I think that's a, a small, some like really good points. Anything you want to kind of wrap up and, you know, really encourage us to think through? Um, I would just overall, I'd, I'd encourage people to, to, you know, I, I trust Google just a little bit in terms of automation. Definitely have a healthy skepticism. Definitely review along the way. But in general, uh, don't, don't not do or don't not allow Google to do 
just because you're afraid of worst case scenario is probably my biggest, my biggest takeaway. Nice. All right. Uh, I agree with all those points. I mean, that was, that was really well uh, put very succinct. So yeah, thanks for sharing all that. Let's, let's transition into some lightning fire round where I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and give you about 60 seconds to answer each one. Perfect. You ready? I'm as ready as I'm going to (laughs) be. Yeah. All right, man. So let's say tomorrow you're taking it easy. You've got no meetings internally, externally. You've got, let's say three hours blocked off and you're like, I'm finally not on the road. I need to like catch up on industry news. Like where do you go to catch up on news? Any favorite blogs, podcasts, people that you kind of follow? Yeah. So, uh, of course I'm going to do that healthy, that healthy, healthy half self-promotional shout out and say PPC, (laughs) PPC chat in general. Um, what I will say is like everyone in PPC chat, half of the time when I'm trying to identify the, the newest error, the newest problem, Someone in PPC chat already has strong feelings about it. Yes. That's great. It's, it's, live, it's a live feed. Everyone's got a new problem every day. And if you ever want to know the worst case scenario of what's going on, Twitter has it for you. Um, apart from that, literally like at the very top of, uh, the top of my browser, I have the AdWords blog, the Bing ads blog, the Facebook ads blog, search engine land, search engine journal. And then controversial, the AdWords Google Plus page. Uh, Every time that there is uh, an announcement that they kind of want to make an announcement but want it to not not be seen all that much, they make the announcement on the Google Plus uh, AdWords page because they know that not a lot of people are going to see it and react right away. So every single time that there's something that they know is going to be unpopular, um, that's where that news is going to break. Yeah, that's, those are all like really good ones. I'm always surprised by the amount of people that aren't following the actual blogs from the networks. Like that's really where they're releasing the news that search engine land, marketing land, search engine journal, like are writing about, right? Like that's what they're linking to. And then really good point on Google plus. Yeah. (laughs) They definitely like to sneak some stuff in there. (laughs) Um, Another, another one that I just thought of uh, the, the Google Ads developer blog mm, that's a good is one. a good way to have a look into what's coming out soon. Sometimes a lot of like the, a lot of their new features makes it into the API long before it makes it into the new UI. So seeing the fact that, okay, they put shopping showcase ads in the API sometime in March, that gives me like a six month parameter of like, okay, I know that they're going to make that more generally available sometime soon. Yeah. It, and I would also echo the Facebook. They do the exact same thing. So definitely check out those developer blogs because they will always update the API first uh, before they roll it out. So good ones there. All right. Let's keep going. Um, now that you've kind of moved into, you know, this data science and you've always been kind of in data science role, like, um, you know, kind of uh, understanding search versus social, like what's your favorite channel? Uh, that you like to see in advertising? I mean, so sometimes that, that answer is going to depend on which of those networks is paying me more to answer that question. <laughs> but I, How about I, as, I, a, as a consumer? I'll be a person for a hot second. There you go. Um, I don't know. I still like search a whole lot. I think that there's a lot of, um, and this might be me as a data scientist, as uh, that math background. I really like linear rules and I really like that control and understanding what's going on. Um, whereas with social, I understand that I'm targeting people based off of some criteria, but there's that, that screen behind it, that this still feels anonymous in a lot of ways. And of course there's privacy concerns around like why this has to be anonymous. I, I see great results out of Facebook. Don't get me wrong, but I still feel that there's, there's oftentimes a distance between all the players on social where you have advertisers who are targeting people and they don't fully understand how they're targeting those people. And that's separate from the agencies maybe managing them that don't fully understand, well, why are we doing these particular things or what's the goal of all of this? Everything still feels very, very distant. And I feel like along the way, I'm, I'm buying solutions or I'm buying audiences to reach without thinking big picture of how this is all playing in. So like, if I want to talk about like attribution on social, well, attribution on social is just kind of this 
this weak idea. I see some notion of this within a view through window, or I can see some notions, but I don't see this full funnel insights like I do within Google Analytics or within the search platforms. So I, I, I definitely think that social's grown up a whole lot in the last three years. I look forward to it growing up a whole lot more. But if you still like gun to my head, I had to pick one, I'd still go back to search because search, I completely understand at the end of the day, exactly what that linear process looks like. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, and it's piggybacks really well. So it's 2018, you're going to be hiring some, some more data analysts at WordStream. Like, what are some of the skills, what are some of the competencies that you look for in like a new hire, especially around like the analyst type of role? Yeah, I think that the big thing without, I feel like a lot of people are going to say, hey, you have to be really analytical. Hey, you have to be uh, very good at paid search. You have to be very in-depth in knowledge of all these platforms. I think that a bigger thing, honestly, that, that goes under under considered in a lot of interview processes is the fact that at the end of the day, particularly if you're client facing, you have to be able to maintain that client relationship. Um, even within my highest tier of service, my full managed servicing offering team, I still look for someone to be 40% client facing and 60% operational. Um, even myself, like I am not even all that client facing. I come from that data scientist's background. I could, in theory, like roll in with a sweatshirt every day and not shave and do whatever I want. And no one would necessarily ding me for that. But if I want to run a team, manage a team, speak to a client, uh, speak at a conference, write a blog, I have to think about not just how do I, like I, I pride myself, I know math very well, I know numbers very well, I know data very well. At the end of the day, I have to relate that back to people who don't. And I've seen a whole lot of people who are very good at the core competencies in their job struggle or fail along the way because they can't necessarily relate that back to a person. And so a lot of what I'm doing when, I, when I'm interviewing someone is I'm specifically looking for them to explain that, that more complicated conversation to me and pretend like I give them a bunch of trouble and I pretend like I don't understand every step of the way um, so that I can see specifically how are they going to relate that to a small medium business who does not care what change happened within exact match that day. Hmm. That's a really interesting uh like input there, you know, a lot of times with the data analysts, it's always the, the guys that aren't that great at communicating or they don't want to be client facing. They're like, can you just like stick me in a corner in the basement and let me play around in Excel and like re do like regression models all day. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's interesting that you're like, no, nah, man, like you need to have some people skills. So I like I that. I mean, like, so that, that's where I came from. Like I started off before I was even paid search. I was in a strict math background for a long time. And I, I was, my background, I actually was working more closely with the NHL. And so there's a lot that you can do in terms of running numbers. Numbers, you can run numbers all day long and come up with really exciting trends. But if you can't go back and explain to a coach or to a media outlet exactly what you're doing, well, none of that really means anything. And so I would so much rather, admittedly, like when I'm traveling a whole lot or when I'm training a team or when I'm managing a team or I'm working with clients, every single time, every single hour that I'm doing any of that, I'm not running numbers. And of course, I could be running numbers for that kind of thing. But this is all, this is all useless if this is just knowledge for me. And that's what clients come to us. This is what clients come to you guys for. Um, Numbers only, math is a universal language only if we all understand it. Sure. That's a nice wrap up right there. That was Thank good. You. Thank you. <laughs> all right. I've got two more questions for you. So we've got into um, Twitter debates around the word hack, right? So you are from Boston and hack means something different to you. I would love for you to explain to us when you're using the word hack and you're in Boston, what does this mean? Okay, so everyone, like, we all think of <laughs> hack, and we all have, like, multiple, the word hack has multiple meanings, right? So right now, we all think of hack as, like, if we go back to the 70s and 80s, we think of it as this, like, oh, I'm going to hack into the mainframe, and I'm going to get into the system. And that then translated further on into, I'm going to 
hack your marketing and I'm going to use it in this kind of gimmicky sense. Growing up, like, in Boston, the word hack kind of means more of just a clever, unique way to do something. And so the way that we all know hack universally of like that technology, I'm going to hack into the mainframe. Well, that actually comes from a, a group of MIT students in the seventies as like comp sci was really evolving at MIT is they were using this, this local language to describe how they were doing this clever, creative thing to get around systems at, at MIT. So they, they started referring to that in the native language of hack. Um, and so now we all think of like hack as being this like super sophisticated advanced language when in reality, like everyone in the area, it's just kind of like a towny word for like, oh yeah, I'm going to hack my way through this party or like, oh, I'm just going to hack my way through this presentation. Like it really doesn't mean anything sophisticated to us. Like I feel that a lot of people when they use the word hack or when they look down on people for using the word hack is because that their delivery isn't up to scientific snuff, if you will. Um, whereas like, to be honest, when I was in the second grade, like when we learned how to like carry the, carry the one over, well, that was a hack. And that's how that was explained to me in, um, and over public education. So like, I, I, maybe that's just representative of like Boston, maybe everyone in Boston's a little bit of a hack. Um, and, I, and even upon saying that, like, that's one of the few times which my Boston accent really comes out is I give a very hard ah, ah kind of language in there. Um, give us, give us a, like a, a really good Boston, really, oh, like, okay, like a wicked good, like, a wicked good, like uh, let's go to the donkeys and like, let's order some donuts, you know, like let's. <laughs> oh my God. All right. So, so earlier this year, um, the dunks on my corner. Uh, the dunks on my corner stopped uh, serving the iced coffee. And so I had to have a hot iced coffee all winter long. And then the dunks went out of business. And now I have to go down to the Prue and I have to order all my dunks, hot or cold, down at the dunks and Prue. And they asked, they charge you like an entire like quarter 50 for it. Um, it's, it's nonsense. Like I don't have anything real to say. Honestly, like Dunks does run through my veins at any point in time. It's everywhere I go. Like I can't, I can't actually enjoy good coffee because I'm from Boston anymore. That like there's a Dunks <laughs> on every corner. And for a long time, there was a Dunks directly at the end of my block. Um, that now when I go to Starbucks, it's like, Ooh, this is fancy. And like everyone else in the country looks down on me. But even when I, when I was out in London, um, Oh, there's a bunch of nice coffee places around there and I had to go out and I had to immediately identify like, well, what's the, the towny awful coffee because I can't sit through this. And of course I can't have any, any hot coffee anytime <laughs> I go anywhere. So like, as I travel the world, there's like, I should honestly run this blog of like bad iced coffee that I've run into that I, I can't have this like hot iced coffee that everyone else serves everywhere else in the world. <laughs> uh, that was pretty good. Uh, that I liked that one. <laughs> I love the Boston accent. I, I love when guys, when you guys like, you know, really get into the character. It's always, it's, it's good. Um, all right. All right. Last question for you. I'm gonna let you go. So, um, let's just say the whole data scientist, uh, Google thing, whatever, we're all like second, you know, we're all kind of hired indirectly by Google, right? Right. It doesn't work out, man. Like what's like a backup job that you've always been like, yeah, I'll just go do that. Do you remember, uh, Aaron Sagan, Aaron Sagan used to work with me. At oh yeah. School. Yeah. 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 And then she like fully embraced the Google. Now she's over at Google. She's running, she's writing all these narratives that we all read that whenever Google does something we don't like, she wrote that language. So nice. that, like, she already knows the fact that like, we don't like it. And like behind it, you can see her gritting her teeth of like, JD, don't, don't be mean to me. <laughs> Um, so when Erin and I started at WordStream, we both worked in restaurants. Um, she was a waiter. I was a bartender. It's still one of those things that like, particularly like during the summer, uh, I'll occasionally pick up a bar shift. Hmm. I can't walk away from that money. That it's also like very relaxing to me, like from that, like math perspective, that like mixing drinks, all of this is just 
math and different combinations and it's an ordered structured kind of thing um the only difference is the clothes and the hours in which you do this that i i'd probably become i become that boston bartender immediately you know so if if google wants to fully automate everything like that's when i'm gonna have my my initial panic attack when i'm gonna be like oh guys i'm not sure about this automate automation um because that means i'm out of a job but until then i'm hoping that can stick around a little bit longer favorite drink to make i mean i always enjoyed a long island iced tea not because i (laughs) like the taste of a long island iced tea just because i always liked grabbing every single bottle within the well and pouring it at once and then very gingerly adding in a little bit of coke at the end being like that was like your finishing touch be like and now it's a different color enjoy um i also enjoyed a lot of like i know that it's very basic but like any kind of uh milk based drink or any kind of like shaken cocktail i really liked it because like you effectively just got to like smile and like look around the bar and like everyone would look at you while you shook it um that it was just like a big showmanship kind of thing um so that that's always my my thing basically anything in which i can make a big distraction or like hold a lot of bottles in my hand at the same time was my favorite drink to make oh man what a, such a great answer i'm sorry i'm like <laughs> laughing over here because it's so such a ridiculously awesome answer thank you <laughs> all right well uh we'll have you back on again at some uh some point it was really great having you on and uh definitely enjoy the rest of your holiday season not traveling and hanging out with your husband man absolutely you too jd